I want to begin today by telling you something about me. And I don't know if I've ever shared this before, nothing dramatic, but I'm colorblind. I don't know if I've shared that with this congregation before, but like a lot of men, I am red, green, colorblind. I can see mostly reds, most of the reds, it's the greens where I struggle. Uh, some greens I can see, I think, fairly well, although I don't know. Other greens I look at and it's just like gray. There's just not the color there that I know ought to be there. And that's not my only problem when it comes to uh, defining color. I'm also color deficient. Now, you may not have heard of that term, but essentially what it means is that it's hard for me, for whatever reason, to label colors. It's like when I was a child, I didn't learn my colors. So I can look at something, for example, that might be purple, and I'll call it blue, uh, and, and so forth. These, these realities have been part of my life all my life. And for some people, uh, that has been almost tragic. My poor mother was, used to be sad that I wouldn't, wasn't able to see the colors that she could see, that I couldn't see the beauty and, and the wonder of the creation that God had uh, made. And uh, I think she felt it was probably a little worse than it actually was, but there you have it. Um, in a very real way, that became normal for me. That was just how I, I lived my life, and it continues to be. I don't miss anything particularly. I just think this is what life looks like. It's the way it's supposed to be. The reality, too, I want to suggest to you this morning is that when it comes to, to faith, this, there's a very similar dynamic that can be at play. Because some people don't understand or see grace. It's how they've done life in the past. It's probably normal for them to do life in that fashion. They don't think it's that big a deal. But the reality is they're not seeing the beauty and the wonder and the magnificence of God in the way that they could, nor are they seeing life in the way that they could. You see, we, we don't want to be uh, grace-blind. We, we want, if you would, to put on a pair of glasses to see this reality because of how good it is and how amazing it is. You know, people who are colorblind sometimes buy or are given those glasses and, and they put them on and all of a sudden they can see colors they've never seen before. Most people look at it on YouTube. It's really worth doing. They put on these glasses and they see color that they've never seen before and they begin to weep. They're so moved internally because of the beauty that they're seeing which they've never seen before. My friends, I'm pretty convinced God wants you to put on those grace glasses and to see this incredible, beautiful, wonderful thing and be moved by it. And enter into, into the, to, to what I'm describing as real Christianity, the Christianity, the faith experience that God wants us all to have. Today I'm going to talk about the reality, and this is my contention, this is my thought that I want you to process, but my experience of people is that human beings struggle to accept and receive grace. Often it's just hard for us to accept that God is good to me even though I don't deserve it. That's what grace is. That's how we've defined it, of course. We have this natural belief, this inclination, if you would, that people should get what they deserve. I should get what I deserve, whether good or bad, and that's just fair and right. So we're going to go to the parable of the workers, par parable of the workers in the vineyard, and uh, listen to Jesus as he's really trying to help people understand, I would suggest to you, the reality of God's grace for us. Um, it's, 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 it's almost like Jesus wants to combat this 
disinclination that we have to receive the grace of God in our lives. So let me read to you. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 15. Jesus is speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers workers, and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received the denarius. So when they, those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous now what do you think about that how does that resonate in your heart one man starting at five o'clock say and working till about six um, getting paid the same amount of money as someone who probably started at 6 a.m and worked through the heat of the day really labored for the same amount of money when those who had worked all day recognized what was going on, they, they began to protest this. They, they just vehemently disagreed what was going on. They thought it was unfair. It wasn't right in their minds. You know, when we think about it, why should somebody who works for an hour get the same as somebody who works mm, 12 hours roughly? It just doesn't make sense. And in, and in one way, it doesn't seem fair. And I'm going to tell you this. In a way, it wasn't fair, but it was gracious incredibly gracious of the owner see the boss represents god the owner of the vineyard represents the lord himself who chose to be kind and good to the to those who started later though they didn't deserve to get a full day's wage he gave it to them and i'm going to tell you my friends just look at that one little scenario and see the reality of god this is the way of god He treats people well. He acts toward them with grace, even though they don't deserve it. See, we human beings, we have a belief. We have a conviction. The more I do, the more I should get. The less I do, the less I should get. Same for others as well. And and it's based on the idea that benefit is based on effort. And we, we've even wired some little sayings into our uh, common parlance that reflects this reality. How about these sayings? You get what you pay for. Think that's true? How about this one? 
Nothing in life is free. Is that true? I like this one. You scratch my back and, and I'll scratch yours. You do something for me, then you, you deserve something in return. And you give it to me, then I'll give it back. Is that the way life is? If you don't scratch my back, you're getting nothing. See, when it comes to faith as Christian people, when it comes to our experience of life with God, when it comes to us being in a relationship with God, I think this is the thought that too often is with us. I think it's sometimes unconsciously held. And quite frankly, in this series, what I'm hoping is that some of those unconscious beliefs will begin to surface so that we can deal with them. But we think in a very similar way. I live righteously, therefore, I deserve more than people who don't from God. You know, if I obey the law, you know, what's going to come back to me? I want to tell you, hold on to that idea. We are following the law which was given by Moses, not the grace and the truth which came by Jesus. We quoted that last week from John 1.14. I'm going to say it again, and I want you to hear it. The idea of getting what we deserve from God has absolutely nothing to do with our having a relationship with God. Do you believe that? Do you know it to be true? Let me take you to Isaiah 64, verse 6. This is a fairly well-known verse. Let me read this to you. It says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. I want us to hear what the verse has said. We have all become unclean in the sight of God. All of us sin. All of us do wrong. And even our righteous acts are like filthy rags. They're not something to boast about. They're not something to be proud of. They're not something to take to God in order to gain his favor or his acceptance. Not at all. You see, it is only Jesus who satisfied the demands of the law. It is only Jesus who died on the cross in our place. And it is his completed work on the cross which allows us to be saved. It is what God has done, not what we have done. Think of Abraham way back in the Old Testament. Genesis fifteen six says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Why was why was Abram considered righteous in the eyes of God because of how he had lived, because of all his righteous acts? No, not at all. It was because he believed that God credited it to him as righteousness. It was a gift given by the Lord. Now, go back to our, our story in Matthew. I want to read verses 13 to 15 again. And, and, and I want you to listen carefully to what it says. But he answered one of them. Again, this is the the owner of the vineyard. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one uh, who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? I want to tell you, we are hearing the reality of God described to us in this verse. It says that he wanted to pay this man who worked an hour a full day's wage. 
God desires to bless people even though they haven't earned what he gives to them. Understand that. It's in the heart of God. And then it talks about him being generous. God is such an incredibly generous God. He gives and he gives and he gives and he gives to bless people whom he loves. It's a fantastic and a wonderful thing about the reality of God. It is his way which flows from his character, from his heart, and from his mind. Let me ask you a, a question, and I think, I think the answer again will be telling in terms of unpackaging what we carry in our hearts about this topic. What do you think about the reality of the deathbed conversion? A lot of people struggle with it. You know, uh, somebody who, who, who has lived well might say this, I have lived righteously all my life. I have worshipped and I have given to God and I have served God and I have obeyed the law. And then some scoundrel who's dying comes to faith in Jesus and he gets the same blessing of heaven as what I'm going to get? Doesn't the righteous person deserve heaven and the scoundrel deserve hell? Well, what's the truth in this? Can I suggest it's this? Neither the righteous person nor the scoundrel deserves heaven. Both of them deserve hell. All are unclean. None of us come to that place where we satisfy the righteous demands of God through the law or through our behavior. And if both are to come to a place of saving faith, both will get there because of the grace of God, the desire of God to forgive, the action of God in saving, the generosity of a God who's willing to look at somebody who might have been a scoundrel for their whole life, but just for a short amount of time has come to that place of saving faith. See the parallel with the story? See, the time doesn't matter so much. It's where we end up. See, in this story that we're looking at today, Jesus is making a point, and it's pointed. And he's asking us what we believe. And today I ask you, what do you believe? What really is in your heart about these things? The natural man, if you would, <laughs> is represented in this story by the complaining workers. And, and what Jesus is saying is, so many people need to change their belief in this regard. We need to think differently about salvation. We need to think differently about our relationship with God. We have to fight the impulse, which is natural to us, which says, I get what I deserve, and so do you. Here's another objection, if you want to put it that way. Think about this idea. If, if what you're saying, Chris, is really true, if it's truly of the biblical teaching, if, if we... If we uh, get salvation regardless of, whether, of, of what we do, if you would. If we're saved by grace instead of how we behave, well, why not just go ahead and sin? Why not just sin egregiously? Because in the end of the day, it's God's grace that saves us. It's not our behavior either way. Well, you know what? That's the exact question that Paul addresses in Romans 5 in the beginning of chapter 6. I remember a long time ago I was struggling with that very question. And I read these verses and it was like a light bulb came on for me. 
And I came to a deeper understanding of God and a deeper understanding of grace and of salvation. So listen to Paul as he responds to that thought, even from his own day. Romans chapter 5, we'll begin at verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. That's the death and resurrection of Jesus. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass, the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's an amazing truth. I'm going to stop for a minute and have you think about that. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You can't outsin God's grace. God's grace is always bigger than your offense. God's an incredibly gracious God. Let's carry on. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen as we move into chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Here's the question. By no means! Exclamation mark. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We have died to sin, Paul is saying. We can't live in it any longer. By no means are we going to do that. Here's the point that he's making. And, and it's, it's so significant that we hold on to this reality. True believers in Jesus, can I put it this way? People who have found real Christianity. We just don't run after sin because we could. We just don't do it. True believers, people who have been transformed by the truth of Christ, they have been changed within they have had the law written on their hearts. It's not imposed upon them externally. It's now part of their being, and they desire from their hearts to do what's right. The desire, by definition, is to turn away from sin and to live for God faithfully. And as a result, faithful living is evidence of faith, which is a clear biblical teaching. You hear that, my friends? Do you hear the reality of that? When God moves by his spirit, when we are saved by grace through faith, we are not going to sin egregiously because we know grace will take care of it. We just don't do it in, in, in Christ. Well, there's a Christmas movie that uh, I don't know whether some of you might have seen this uh, past Christmas season or not, but it's called Christmas with the Cranks. And uh, it's a Tim Allen movie. I'm going to refer to his character as Tim Allen because I honestly can't remember the name of of the actual character in the movie. But in the movie, uh, Tim Allen is married to a, a, a wife, a, a woman, and they are newly empty nesters. And they make a decision about Christmas. They've always gone all out for Christmas. The decorations, the presents, the, the tree, everything. And, and just really celebrate it to, it to the hilt. But this year they decide to do something different. Instead of pouring all the money into presents and decorations and so forth, because their daughter's not going to be home, so they believe, they decide to put the, all that Christmas money into a cruise. And they're going to cruise and enjoy the sunshine and have a great holiday together. Well, when the neighbors find out what's going on, they're not happy about this. And they sort of gang up against the cranks. 
and they begin to complain and they, can, can, they start to want, want to influence them or even force them into Christmas celebration. Put your Christmas lights up. This is what we do in our neighborhood. Enjoy this season. And that develops into a little bit of a, a comedic war. You know, they're, they're, they're battling. For example, at one point the neighbors come and they carol on the front lawn. And they're trying to bring the Christmas spirit into the, into the cranks home, into their hearts. Well, right after they leave, Tim Allen pulls out the garden hose and he hoses down the front lawn. So the next time they come back to sing carols, they're, they're going to fl- flip and flop and, and not be able to sing at all. So this, this just is, is ongoing in the movie and it is good fun. Well, halfway through the, uh, the movie, uh, their daughter calls. And I think she's in South America uh, 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 doing whatever she happened to be doing. And she is surprising them by telling, uh, telling her parents that she's just getting on an airplane and she's going to come home for Christmas and she's bringing her new fiancé, Enrique, I believe is his name. And she is going to show Enrique, you know, what an incredible experience Christmas has been in her growing up years. She said, I'll be there in 12 hours. I'm looking forward to it, mom and dad. And, and off she goes. Well, that put the, puts the cranks into a bit of a panic because they have 12 hours to put everything in place as if Christmas uh, was unfolding as usual. You know, they have to buy the tree and they have to get the Christmas dinner together. They've got to decorate the house. On and on it goes. And in the end, they throw it together and, and, and the daughter comes home with her fiancé and they're at the Christmas party. But Tim Allen, he's still fighting it. He still wants to go on that cruise. He's still not happy because that cruise was his dream and he had set his heart on it. Well, after a time... Uh, he softens, and he comes to that place where he just, you know, okay, I'll, I'll celebrate Christmas again. And, and he sort of accepts the reality that he finds himself in. And he does, after that change, uh, he hears that the neighbor across the road, kind of a grumpy old man who's led the charge against the cranks and their lack of Christmas spirit, well, he hears that that man's wife has had a recurrence of cancer. And uh, it's very possible she won't see another Christmas touches his heart so he takes the tickets for the cruise he knows he can't go on it his daughter's home the new fiance is there he walks across the road and he offers the cruise tickets to the grumpy old man free of charge just go and enjoy yourself what's really interesting is that when that offer was given the grumpy old man looked even grumpier and he crossed him and he refused to take the gift just refused no interest i'm not going to take anything from you well, after a little while, you know, he got one of those glances from his wife, you know, the telling glance that a wife can give, and he starts to soften, and ultimately he relents. And in the end, he takes the gift. He accepts the gift. He accepts the gift of grace, something given to him freely from a heart of love. In the end of the day, my friends, I suppose my question for you is, what's your stance before God today? Some of you might struggle with grace as it's really starting to open up to you and you you really understand what it is. And some of you might be like that cranky old man. I'm not going to accept that gift. I'm going to earn my salvation. I'm going to do what it takes to get into the good books of God. I'm going to prove my righteousness to him. And some just refuse grace. Others, of course, open up. They admit that their own righteousness, their own good acts, are entirely insufficient for salvation. 
they come to a place where they recognize that they need the forgiveness of God based in the work of Jesus on the cross. And they recognize that, that, that God has accomplished this for them and it's just for them to receive. Like taking tickets into your hand and going to have a, an incredible cruise in the Caribbean. I want to tell you, my friends, this whole discussion is a critical one. Not just to understand grace, but the discussion about whether we will receive grace into our lives. Let me take you back to Matthew. Uh, Chapter 20, verse 1, the beginning of this story, in just one verse, says this, Jesus speaking again, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. I want you to know, my friends, Jesus is king of a kingdom. It's his vineyard, if you would. He owns it. He operates it. And he calls people into it. And I want you to hear loud and, loud and clear today. There's only one way into the kingdom of God. And that's through grace. Nothing else. And there's only one way to live in the reality of real Christianity. And it's through grace. Not of works so that no one can boast. It's all about what God has done for us in Jesus. I want to go back to some of those sayings that I spoke to you earlier. And I want to ask you the question about whether you think these are true or not. So, number one. Is this true? You get what you pay for in life. Is that true? Not with Jesus. (laughs) You get what he gives you out of a heart of love. He wants to give forgiveness and relationship to people. He's a generous God and he's so willing to bestow righteousness on you simply because you believe, just like Abraham. How about this one? There's nothing free in life. Is that true? I'm here to tell you biblically it is completely untrue. It is false in the kingdom of heaven. Because there is something that comes to us free of charge. And all we have to do is receive it by faith. And it's this relationship with God and Jesus. It's the forgiveness that we we have in him. It's the blessings which come into our lives that God gives to us because God wants to and because he is generous. How about this one? And I'll modify the saying just a little bit. Um, The statement... uh, You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. How about this one? God, I'll scratch your back so that you'll scratch mine. Is that how it works? (laughs) We do something for God and he returns it because we deserve it? He's obliged to give to us? No, not in the kingdom of heaven. Not at all. We are given this free gift. Um, No strings attached. And we get it, not because of what we've done, because of the incredible nature and love and grace of God. And you know, in the end of the day, what happens is we get to put on those glasses, those grace glasses. We get to look at life through a new lens, the lens of grace. Just like a colorblind person putting on those glasses which corrects colorblindness, we see beauty and, and, and wonder 
in a way that we haven't seen it before. Because we get to see God as he really is. Not the angry judge, but the loving father. We get to have this relationship with God where we're drawn into his presence and we know his delight and his love. Nothing else. We get to experience the beauty of living in the kingdom and its goodness. We come to that place where we see finally the reality of what God has created us to live in, both in relationship with him and with one another, and as I've said, even in relationship to ourselves. My friends, God is good. If you were saved, it's because God has accomplished it. You just need to be one of those people who, who sees and celebrates and, and praises God and worships him for what he has done, as do I. So I say to you, my friends, put on the glasses. View life through a new lens. Understand the reality of grace. And find life, abundant life, full life, life rich and satisfying in Jesus as you live in him by the grace of God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to trust that uh, as I've spoken today, God has spoken to you. Let's respond to him. Heavenly Father, um, again, we pray that you'll open our eyes to see. Help us to believe the things that you have spoken in Scripture. Help us never to look to ourselves for our salvation. Help us simply to believe in your goodness and your giving nature. You've given us Christ. You bless us with forgiveness, not because we deserve it, because you want to give it to us. You invite us into this kingdom where grace predominates. And Lord, you give us relationship with you. Help each of us dig deep in this, Lord, and come to believe in a new way, a more full way, in the grace that is ours in Jesus. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.